Welcome to That's the Word, wholesome tales for the whole family. I'm Father James Yamauchi. Today's story, The Perfect Storm. Before Benny knew it, the sun was setting. It was a calm evening, and Benny was satisfied with the results of the annual convention. Benny's co-workers sensed that he was ready to bid farewell and return to his home in the mountains. Benny was the quintessential homebody and never spent the night anywhere else. Benny's business partner was all too familiar with his habits and quirks and knew that he was ready to leave. However, she had a strange premonition that they would not see each other again for a very long time. She implored him to spend the night at the venue so they might talk more. She hoped Benny would acquiesce this once, but he sternly refused. She continued to plead to no avail. Eventually, She could not hold back her tears. She began to cry profusely, laying her head on the table. He still would not be budged. It was time for him to go. And no matter how much Benny cared for his dear colleague, he would not compromise. Benny rose from the table and politely bid his business partner farewell. As he approached the door, Benny felt a gush of wind. The evening sky rapidly deteriorated as a strong storm unexpectedly moved into the area. Benny lowered his head and sighed. There was no way in these conditions, that he could return home. Perhaps, he thought, the storm will pass as quickly as it came. Yet, he knew in his heart of hearts this was not the case, because he knew the cause of the storm. He had no other choice but to relent to his business partner's request and the annual convention continued into the night. The next morning, Benny returned to his mountain home, only to receive notice three days later that his dear business partner was dead. Benny led no ordinary corporation. Born in a small Italian town, he would go on to found the famous monastery of Monte Cassino, his dear home in the mountains, as he gained many co-workers who were inspired to imitate his life of radical prayer and work in the monastic setting. While St. Benedict is widely known, the woman with whom he conferred once a year is not. When St. Benedict refused her request 
to break his monastic rule this one time and continued their annual pious conversations into the night. She cried openly, laid her head upon the table, and prayed that God would intercede for her. When a violent storm with hail and torrential rain suddenly besieged the group, St. Benedict exclaimed, God forgive you, what have you done? To which the woman responded, I asked you to stay, and you would not hear me. I have asked it of our good Lord, and he has granted my petition. Therefore, if you can now depart, in God's name return to your monastery and leave me here alone. The woman, who knew St. Benedict the best, founding a convent under the direction of her sainted brother, his twin sister, St. Scholastica. And for this week, that's the word. After I got ordained a deacon, I can't remember how soon it was. It was only a couple of days that the family, we went to Monte Cassino. And I remember up at Monte Cassino, that was the first religious item I blessed. It was, I can't remember. I think it was a, I don't think it was a cross with a Benedictine medal. I think it was just a Benedictine medal. But there is a fun family story we have regarding Monte Cassino. And I have to give credit to John Peter who um, was able to correctly tell us. I was right. Yes. What were you right about? So we get to Monte Cassino. And when we talk about this being a mountain, you get there. And okay, maybe I'm a bad judge of what's a mountain or not, because we live in Dallas. There is no elevation change as far as I can see. Mm -hmm. However, this thing was a pretty good looking mountain. So I'm looking at this mountain and I'm counting the switchbacks and I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be quite the trek to get up there. Fortunately, of course, there's a bus. The bus runs, I think every hour. So forgive me if I get the details wrong about this. Don't use this to plan your trip to Monte Cassino, but there is a bus that runs, I guess about every hour or so. And there's a tour that begins at 1130 and it's going to be about an hour long. So, okay, great. We can take that and we'll go up there and we will take the tour and then come back down and head home. The problem is that there is in Italy siestas, which means the bus does not run from 12 to 3. And the Italian term is reposo, but you all know the term siesta better. Okay, how are we going to get down to the mountain? And they said, oh, we'll just walk down. I'm looking at the switchbacks and I tell them, okay, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There's no way that this is two kilometers or however long they said it was. This is at least four times that length. They didn't listen to me, of course. And we get on the bus and go pop, 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 right up. So we got to the top and we take the tour, of course. The tour ends and there are no buses. We start walking. And John Peter is protesting. And I think in fairness, we have to say this. 
John Peter's reputation within the family is while he is very good with maps and distances, he's also a figure who does not promote the idea of walking at that point. So you have to understand that we may say, well, he's, he may have the facts right, but the facts may be clouded by his preferences of not ever having to walk long distances when you have modern transportation. Operative word there is long. Protesting walking across the entire southern part of the city of Rome is not something in my mind that is outrageous. Anyway, we start walking and we notice that it takes quite a while to get to the first switchback. We go on the first switchback and we keep walking and I'm protesting. But we keep going down and down and down and we don't get much closer. Eventually, we eventually figured out this is going to take a really, really long time. So we, a guy was driving his car down and my mom and dad flagged him down and they stuffed us into the back seat of the car and he agreed to let us hitchhike down to the train station. Then Father James found a taxi to go back up and get mom and dad, which was not easy because there's not very many taxis in Monte Cassino. To be clear, when we found out that we can get a ride down the rest of the mountain, I have never seen John Peter run so quickly into the car. He was a very happy man. My, my question is, in all honesty, John Peter, you're in Italy, you're at Monte Cassino, you see this mountain, you see this very historic monastery on top of the mountain. We're going to get a tour of the place that was the home of St. Benedict. Why are you counting switchbacks? Because I'm hearing people say, oh, it's not that far. And you look at this and it's not a matter of counting switchbacks. It's a matter of just looking at the thing and your rational brain tells you that there is no way but see, that's the point. You're not thinking about the walk or distance. You're like, you're going to the home of St. Benedict. And here's the other question I have. You were protesting coming down. What were we going to do at that point? I don't know. We could have waited until the bus came. It would have been a much more, I mean, we could have spent more, to your point, we could have spent more time at the home of St. Benedict rather than on the doorstep, the very large doorstep of St. Benedict. In fairness, I think they did kick us out. Because it was siesta time for the monks. <laughs> so we could have just hung out at the um, the closed front gate. So that was poor playing on our part. I will say, if you plan on going to Italy, make sure you do things in the morning or late afternoon uh, because you never know if things are going to be open. I just realized I have no idea exactly where St. Benedict and St. Scholastica met, but we possibly could have passed that. Or yes or no. I doubt it. Do you think he went the whole way down the mountain? Probably. I don't think our monastery was just at the foot of the mountain. I think it was a little ways away. So they would have to go down the mountain and then go to a place. Maybe it was in that town area at the foot of the mountain. Who knows? Actually, probably somebody does, but we've not done the research to find out. Exactly. I'm sure there's a spot that says this was the spot. And who knows? They may even have a relic of the rain. And, and I say that in a joking way just because there's another church in Rome that claims it has part of the plague of darkness from Egypt. So that's, um, that's a little bit of a stretch. <laughs> but we do know, thanks to St. Gregory the Great, this wonderful story of St. Benedict 
Have I never told you that? I've heard that before. I just keep forgetting about that one. Yeah. No, and, and it's interesting because one of my classmates was a sacristan at the North American College, and he actually got to go in the sacristy. So he saw the the jar, I guess. Don't knock over that jar, man. Who knows what's going to happen? If you enjoy That's the Word, please share the word. You can see the story extras for this story, The Perfect Storm, at thunderrock.org, where you can read St. Gregory the Great's account of this story. Thunderrock.org is also where you can sign up for our weekly newsletter and where you can find our social links and our email if you have any feedback or story ideas. Thanks for listening and join us next Wednesday for another wholesome tale for the whole family.